This one, I I mean, both of our stories are like sea related, so I think you can see what correlation I'm going with. That'll work. As the sea theme because yeah. of recent events. <laughs> because of recent um, events. That's literally, I was, because I was like, okay, like I can do any of mine today, I, but then I was like, well, I should record the sea one because. With the submarine. It do be happening, apparently. I mean, I don't know anything about the people in it besides they paid that much of it for a ticket. Mm-hmm. And I, I was telling Dad last night, I was like, you couldn't have paid me to step foot on it when it was on land. Let alone pay a quarter of a million dollars. You couldn't have paid me. Like, you're telling me people paid to do that? Like, no. That's, uh-uh. I was uh-uh. like, it's just, <laughs> Dad said it's another, what, Darwinism award or whatever. Yeah, that's what, <laughs> that's what he was saying. I was like, yeah, no, you literally couldn't have paid me to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no no, well, just no like, amount of money on this earth that would make me do that. Based on what everyone is saying about like the the like waiver forms you sign, it basically says, "Yeah, you'll probably die." What it says, <laughs> what I don't get is like, did they not do their own research into the company before just signing up to do it? I've I have no idea. Because that's something I do but before like, I go on vacations. I'm like, like oh, we're not going here because there's bad reviews. Like, was like, hey, friend, let's go do this fun activity. So and so's done it a whole bunch. And they're like, oh, they're like, okay, how much? And they're like, that much? And you're like, oh, yeah, okay, that's that's one, that's one how much I make in a month, so that's fine for this this once-in-a-lifetime experience. And then they went down and everything imploded. Yeah. At least I assume it imploded. No. I know, I'm favorite? like, are they actually dead? Who knows? Was oh, there actual dead like, now. <laughs> you know, like, was there actual footage of everybody getting on there? Or is this a whole, like, these people needed to fake their death to start a new life doing something else? You know, always possible. Because I don't know if they actually got <laughs> on there. Where's the footage of them actually, like, going into the water? No idea. I have not looked for footage of any of it. Well, well then everybody's like, what is it distracting us from? And I was like, whatever it's distracting us from, you guys wouldn't have cared about anyway. It's very true. <laughs> no, that's literally Like, who so does anything true. about what's going on in the world anymore to the point where like, you're acting like we need always, a distraction yeah. to not care about something they'll else? They'll do distraction things and then... um with these so-and-so distra- so-called distraction things, and then they'll also deploy troops somewhere in the world. It's like, you yeah. weren't going to pay attention to the de- them deploying yeah, these troops Yeah, you weren't anyway. going to know about that regardless. Like, you could have known about it, but you weren't going to care. No. Because you, you only care about the crazy. About it. You yeah. care about when a Hollywood-level thing happens, and that's it. Yes. <laughs> if it's not like the movies, you don't care. <laughs> there is nothing I could care about less than famous people like truly i don't understand the hype around famous people like if i mm-hmm. saw like like the nash i bring it up the nashville concert all the time not the concert when we were there for the football game and all of a sudden billy ray cyrus is singing at the halftime of just a random like titans versus chiefs football game mm-hmm. and i was like oh it's billy ray cyrus like i was shocked to see him but i wasn't like oh my god it's billy yeah. ray cyrus like what am I going to do? I don't but even think I have, like, a picture of a, or a video of him doing it. Like, me and Drew mm-hmm. were just like, is that Billy Ray Cyrus? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't get how people are, like, so obsessed over famous people. I really don't. I, the only time that I think it's, like, cool to be somewhere is if it's, like, a historic event. And you know it's going to be a historic event. So, like, like if you're, like, like, I was invited to, like, the speech that Obama and, um... Miracle, Angela Merkel gave it like the Brandenburg Gate, and it's like the first time president talked through since JFK or something like that. 
And like that's cool. Oh yeah, because I forgot you were there for they, that. They will yeah. re- that will go down in history. Yeah, but then you're no, not also like, oh my god, it's Obama. No, I wasn't. I was like, it's cool to be at this <laughs> yeah. historic event. Was what I was excited about. No, it's just um, the fact that people obsess over famous people. I, it's not. It's not for me, man. I don't get. Believe in like seeing, like different shows, like not shows, but like like con- going to yeah. concerts. I want to go to a concert that's going to be a good show, not just somebody like singing and sort of half dancing on stage. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, the last two concerts <laughs> I've been to was Elton John and then Billy Joel with Stevie Nicks. We got... I go I see know. the old people, and I literally told you, I was like, I want to go see them before they die. <laughs> I there's... was like, that sounds so bad, but, like, there's only going to be so many opportunities before none of them are touring anymore. Your turn. Okay. Your turn to go first. My turn to go first. Um, yeah, so I guess they're not in the same place this time, because... For the life of me, I could not find any stories I wanted to cover for where yours is from. That's okay. I think you got all the good stories that I could find easily. Like, like the problem is I don't know what to look for there. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I went with a whole different location from you. I went to Germany. Um, so I'm going to tell you about Klaus Studebaker and the Vichilla brothers. My sources are Wikipedia and Hamburg.com. So, the Vichila Brethren were formed in response to the Hundred Years' War, a conflict that involved Queen Margareta I of Denmark and Albrecht III of Mecklenburg, um, King of Sweden, and they were both fighting for Scandinavian supremacy. They wanted to, like, rule Norway, Sweden, Denmark. Yeah. That... Like, basically the Baltic and some of the North Sea. Because I think most of it was about, like, the oceans and not the land. Okay. Trade routes, you know. Um, so Albrecht ran into a little problem during the war, seeing as he did not have a navy. Um, so he turned to privateers, um, issuing letters of mark to commercial ships, allowing them to plunder goods. Mecklenburg was able to amass a force of 1,400 people who went raiding around the Baltic Sea, causing chaos and disrupting trade. So, you know, you don't need a navy when there's absolutely no fun commerce happening. <laughs> they weren't, they weren't, they weren't like naval battles between like Denmark's forces and Mecklenburg's forces. It yeah. was just, he hired a whole bunch of pi- pirates. <laughs> so in 1392, this is how long ago it was, 1392, So, like, a hundred years before Columbus gets to the island of Hispaniola. So, in 1392, there was a need for privateers to run blockades, providing provisions to these cities, specifically Stockholm. Before then, they were just sort of, like, running amok. Mm -hmm. And now they they were like, hey, guys, you've been having fun. Can you do something for me really quick? (laughs) We have no food here. (laughs) So, they, um, they, they blockade run. They break Denmark's blockade over Stockholm. In 1395, the war ends and the privateers are expected to disband. They don't. Why would you? It was very profitable. Yeah. Many Mecklenburg nobles had joined the privateers as it was a profitable business. So, like, just, you know, like, the dukes, the duchesses, the barons, the baronesses were all like, absolutely, yes, this is a great time. We can make bank and, like, started up their own privateer pirate ship, basically. Mm -hmm. Some of them were like... Uh, no, we've never made more money in our lives. Why would we stop doing this now? Yeah. So they don't stop. Instead, they head to the island of Gotland, which was under Mecklenburg control. 
um, and they make their headquarters in the city of Visby and continue their raiding. Fair enough. They had a number of safe harbors in Mecklenburg and went around plundering cities and occupied parts of Frisia and Schleswig. Um, They do most of their raiding in the early, like, in the beginning half of this in the Baltic Sea area. They don't really go up and around Denmark yet, into the North Sea and down the Atlantic coast. Um, So there's the only real threat to the privateers was the Hessianic city. Oh, sorry, not Hessianic. Hanseatic um, city of Lübeck, which was which had a powerful navy. The other members of the Hanseatic League um, trended, tended, not trended, <coughs> tended to support the Victula Brethren. Like they were, they were down for the chaos. I don't. It, somehow, it was also good for them. They're probably like just participating in it secretly. Yeah. Um, and just in case you don't know, the Hanseatic League is like a it's like a trading guild between the major Baltic seas, so like Hamburg, Lübeck, um, and a whole bunch of others. So the only ones that I know, only ones I've been to to bother to remember they exist. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it was a really really big thing up there, and it still affects like trade stuff today. Not that they are still part of the Hanseatic. They might actually the Hanseatic League might still exist, but either way, it still affects trade today whatever was set up that long ago. Like Lufthansa, the airplane company, mm-hmm. is is directly related to the Hanseatic <clears throat> League existing. So it's like a really big thing for this entire guild to be like, actually, it's okay. <laughs> um, in 1398, Albrecht conceded Gotland to the Teutonic Order as a payment for their alliance during the war. So he no longer controls Gotland, where all the privateers have been hiding out. Yeah. Um, this means the Victula Brethren need to go, because the Teutonic Order is not here for it. And they're like they're like a Catholic order of something. Um, Conrad von Jungingen, Grand Master of the Order, like the Teutonic Order that was getting the land, led an invasion of the island, destroying the city of Visby and driving the Brethren out. Margareta um, had unified Denmark, Sweden, and Norway in 1395, and this gave her a lot more power, which allowed her to force the Hanseatic League to cooperate with her, um, meaning they had to now say that they were anti-privateer, <laughs> or she would kick their booties, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, do other trade restrictions. Other, you know, there's more than just fighting. <laughs> anyway, so now everybody's against them, except for them. The privateers are on their own now. They don't have any good support. Um, after the fall of the Victula, yeah, the Victula Brotherhood, I had originally called them something else the entire time, so every time I get to the word Victula, I, like, <laughs> think of the old word. It's like, did I write the wrong thing? Um, the Hanseatic lead tried and failed to completely control the Baltic Sea. Like, they couldn't, they couldn't kick them out. They, the privateers were sort of set up to maintain... Um, some level of chaos. Yeah. The other navies weren't able to control them. Um, eventually, the Brethren are reduced to piracy of just a few areas. Like, most of the Baltic Sea is under Hanseatic control. So they're reduced to just working in oh the Schlei, which is like a really big, weird lake thingy oh like a it's it's, it's a fjord 
I don't know if you know what a fjord is. No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I've heard that a word. A wide but... river lake thing that connects to the ocean. I think is a, a decent way to describe it. It's like like oh, it's like, like the grand. Yeah, but like really like yeah. but like Grand Canyon sized. Okay. Kind of thing, not like lengthwise, but like width, yeah. like thickness. I think that's a way you can describe a fjord. Anyway, so they're working in the, this fjord called the Schlei, um, which is, they were working at the mouth of the Ems, and then they were, had a few other locations that they were doing stuff in around Frisia, which I think is like the part of Germany that's just below Denmark, or maybe it's the Netherlands. That was unclear. I know those are very different areas, <laughs> but like regions change size and location a yeah. lot in, in this is from a long time ago yeah especially that long ago <laughs> so the third of successor to the Vixula brothers were the like dealers so like once the Vixula brothers are like reduced to these small areas they sort of like change their name and their vibe a little bit so now they're the like dealers they're rebranding they're rebranding the like dealers um which means that when they captured ships of any and all origins, they would equally share their bounty, not just between themselves, which they had always done when they were just the Victula Brethren, but they would also share it with, like, poor members of the coastline population, like, wherever they hopped over to, like, get supplies. They'd be like, you want some of our booty? And they were Aww, like, yeah, we want some of your booty. They're Robin Hooding. <laughs> they were literally, sweet. they're Robin Hooding. Um, but because if, where would they hide otherwise? They're going to yeah. be reported. That's the best way to guarantee your safety is pay everybody off. Yeah. <laughs> so they have to they have to expand their reach at this point. So that's when they start doing um, work in the North Sea and along the Atlantic coast, striking as far south as Spain, which is like way the heck down there. Because mm-hmm. um, remember they're starting on the east side of Denmark, going up and around, and now they're doing stuff all the way down in Spain. Their most famous the most famous of the lake dealers is Klaus Studebaker. Um, Klaus Studebaker is born in Vismar, which is located on the Bay of Vismar, <laughs> on the Baltic Sea, um, in the uh, German state, uh, now known as Mecklenburg-Vorpommern. I always want to say von Pommern, but it's Vor. Yeah. Um, he was born sometime around 1360, and he first appears in records in 1394 as a member of the Victula Brethren. The name Stuttebaker is supposedly... A nickname meaning it's like it's supposedly a nickname and it does mean like to go down like to down a pint in one go like just take a big old thing of beer and shoot it back yeah no like no stopping for breathing <laughs> um and he was known to be able to do this supposedly having drank four liters without taking a single break which is <laughs> that's how you die you cannot consume that much liquid at once <laughs> I would just like immediately vomit all of it up. There's right? no way. You think he might have. Yeah, that's but true. the point is he did it. <laughs> it's also entirely possible that Schroederbecker was just his last name, because their names like from where he's from, it's it's a last name option basically. Yeah. It could it could be both though. <laughs> it could be. We're his gonna real say last it's name. both because he's a piratey man. So it's a great pirate last name though. Yeah. Just to be able to down that much alcohol in one go. <laughs> yeah supposedly in 1401 this is like the common legend right um the hamburg warship buntaku part of the fleet led by simon of utrecht utrecht um 
well known for his success fighting pirates, caught up to Studebaker's forces near Helgoland in the North Sea and fought Studebaker for three days. Legend says that a traitor aboard Studebaker's ship poured molten lead into the chain that controlled the ship's rudder, making like that, and that's how um, Simon of Utrecht caught up to him and like captured him. It's because they had this traitor aboard. Um, Studebaker and a few of his crew of 73 were captured and brought to Hamburg. It doesn't seem like no story says all of them were captured. Some of them have like a varying number being captured. Yeah. By the way, they're all supposedly brought back to Hamburg. Um, and then there's a few more legends about the death because there's always good legends about the death of famous pirate, like piratical, piratical, piratical people. <laughs> I didn't know there was a term for that. <laughs> there is. I still don't, I don't even know if I got it right. <laughs> People who are pirates. Um, so legend says that he, Stutebaker, offered a chain of gold long enough to encompass the city of Hamburg in exchange for his life and, and freedom. But this was not accepted, and he and the crew were beheaded on Grassbrook Island. There's another legend that says that Stutebaker asked the mayor of Hamburg to let go as many people as he, Schutabega, could walk past before, or after he was beheaded. So, like, once they cut off his head, if his body could walk past X amount of people headless, they would all be freed, was what he requested oh. the mayor. The mayor agrees, because why wouldn't you? Obviously, it's not possible. <laughs> um, Interesting. And after Schutabega was beheaded, his headless body got up <gasps> and was able to walk past 11 people. 11 of his crew before the executioner <gasps> tripped the body with an outstretched foot or something like that. Cheater. Like the executioner purposely Cheater. trips this, this headless body that's walking Cheater. past these people. Um, and then, after, like, this executioner does this, the Senate of Hamburg, which is some sort of government body, um, a charge of justice, asks the executioner why um, he had not been tried for tripping the body. And the executioner replied, I could easily execute you all. Um, that's why he hadn't been tried. No one was willing to, like, do anything against the executioner because he was the executioner. He's like, go ahead and try it. <laughs> anyway, See what will happen um, to you. And for saying such a sassy thing to this government body, he was sentenced to death. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and executed by the youngest member of that governing body of the Senate. Oh, wow. All of this is um, hearsay legend, but it's very fun. Nope, that's the truth. I don't <laughs> care what anybody else says. That body got, got up and walked. <laughs> if he could drink that much, why couldn't he walk far dead? It's, so, because m there's so much, like, lore. If chickens can do it, why can't humans? Uh, that's, honestly. <laughs> Depending I'd on like how his head, head was cut off, you know? Yeah. Um, so the execution may or may not have happened at, like, they're not even sure historically if it actually happened in Hamburg, but Hamburg did definitely have a history of executing um, pirates. So at the very least, they did execute pirates. It's unknown if it was definitely, um, if, if Studebaker and his crew were uh, executed there or not. Um, another fun legend about it, about Studebaker as a whole, is that the mass of Studebaker's ship had cores of gold, which is not practical. Gold is very no. heavy. Why would you do that? Anyway, it said that these cores of gold were like confiscated when they took in the ship. They like knew they were there and like took the gold out of the out of the masts and then they used it to build the tip of the um Hauptkirche. Um 
Hauptkirche's Sankt Kette. I'm sorry, I don't. Sankt is a new word for me. I don't know if I spelt it wrong or not. <laughs> I, it should be. It's. It's. This is the main church of Saint Catherine, Hauptkirche Sankt Katharine, in Hamburg, and which has like a gold tip on top of its steeple. Uh-huh. They say that's where they got the gold from it, or for it. Um, and that also his famous cup, the one that he could drown in one gulp, or down in one gulp, drown. <laughs> he drowned in his cup. And that he could down in one gulp was on display in the Hamburg Rathaus, the city hall, until the burn the building burned in 1842. Oh, man. So I don't, I feel like the famous cup is much more likely to have actually been in the city hall than um, the gold story being the church steeple. Yeah. Um, I understand why that would be, like, a fun story that kids would make up, though. Yeah, the gold up there? Or, like, parents From would make pirate up. Ship. Pirate ship. Pirate ship gold. So, I get yeah. it. I get how that story comes about. Um, so, recent evidence. This is, like, real life recent evidence, not okay, <laughs> fake life okay. recent evidence. Suggests that Schittebaker and his crew um, were more likely captured and executed in 1400 instead of 1401. As there is a record of a bill for digging the graves of 30 Victula brothers um, for that year, Hmm. which was, like, I I think, like, an unprecedented number. And we do know he was captured. Yeah. We know he was captured at some point. We knew his crew was captured. That Here it is in Hamburg area. Yeah. 30 specifically recorded pirates graves being dug. Makes a lot of sense that it would be this this mass capturing of Schittebaker and his crew, which means, I mean, there could have been 74 people. And again, I always said that only some of the crew were taken back. So maybe 30 people, including Schittebaker, were taken back and um, executed. Or maybe all of them were captured and just only 30 were executed. The rest were pardoned or imprisoned. Who knows? But it's more likely that it was this year. And if it was in this year, that means that um, Bubuntaku, the bright cow... Like the colorful cow, didn't capture them because the ship was not completed until 1401, hmm. um, and that it would have been Herman Blanga and Nicholas Schuka, who were the commanders of the Hessianic fleet at the time, who would have captured him instead of the other guy who was the famous pirate hunter, which is probably why he ended up being the person who everyone says captured him because he's the famous pirate hunter. Yeah. Um, and these two are also specifically recorded as having set sail for Helgoland in 1400, where they captured him. So, like, everything about that, st- like, the fact that he was captured around Helgoland and, like, other things about it could be true except for the date and the place. Or, yeah. like, and the people, I mean. The date and the people. Which is interesting that they have those documents from that long ago yeah. to say that these things happened. But also, like, how'd you just find them? Well, you sometimes you're just finally going... Uh, most papers that people write, especially in the olden times, just sort of wind up in storage and are never looked at again after they're written. So if someone's finally yeah, going true. through hundreds of years later... What if they just found it in, like, their attic or something? Oh, probably not, but it's probably church they records. They might have. It's genuinely probably church records. That could be, yeah. That, could um, be. that someone was doing, like, genealogical research with and saw that. <laughs> it's like, oh, wild. All these pirates. Um, so... It, 1878, a skull with a metal spike through the top was exhumed and is attributed to Schittebaker. They think that's his, which means his head was not cut off, which is interesting. Oh. It also means that you could, like, 
put the spike into his head, and he could have still walked past people. Yeah, before you he definitely died, could have. Which is an interesting idea. That could, was that means... a way that they executed people? No clue. I've never looked into European execution styles. That. that sounds like a great idea it for does. a um, episode, though. So look forward to that. I think I'll cover that unless you want okay. to. No, you can't. There'll be names. You and don't want stuff to say all the crazy German words. Yeah, so, so there's gonna be names and stuff that you can you know, actually be understand, and I'll a be like, weird amount of German words are gonna be in that. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, but I mean, like you said it earlier, Robin Hood activities. Studebaker yeah. is generally viewed as a Robin Hood type figure, despite being yeah um, a pirate. Not all pirates are bad. Most pirates were also hired by government, so they actually were doing it legally by someone's standards. And yeah. then everyone else got mad at them because they were doing, like, like if you were legally a privateer for Spain, you were considered a pirate by England kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It just depended on who you were, whether or not you were considered a pirate, like who you were against. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the story of, I mean, honestly, not Klaus Studebaker, more of just the Victula Brethren, but yeah, I want. I, I was hoping Shudebaker had like a more fantastical story, like we knew more about him. But it makes sense that we didn't because mm-hmm. he's sort of just like this vague Robin Hood figure that was really good at privateering, yeah, and was from like not much of a family, so there's no good history on his like life before being one of these pirates. Wouldn't um, a pirate hunter just be considered a pirate? Yes, by the other side. If you're a pirate hunter for England, you're considered a pirate by Spain, kind of thing. Are you hunting Spanish pirates? You're hunting. Yeah. Just like regular pirates. It's, being too. a pirate is all about, like, whether or not you're considered a pirate all depends on, like, who the other person is. You know, sometimes I wish, not that, like, we were living in the world where, you know, the time period that pirates were in. Like, the way that everybody thinks of pirates, not like modern day pirates. Like, like... But like Captain Jack Sparrow, yeah, I was gonna pirates. Say, yeah, Sometimes yeah, I wish that pirates. there could have been some way where like we can still all move on and like live how we're living now. But like pirates were still the exact same. But like having the chaos of yeah. privateers. Yeah. I think that's pretty easy to achieve. I mean, I'm not saying I wish they would do all like the terrible stuff to people like they did. But like just, just living in a world where you can still have some things be as cool as they seemed back then. Yeah. Where you, you know. where you have the ability to rob one ship real, real well, and then um, be filthy Just stinking sail rich. away. <laughs> and, and nothing ever happens to you. Like, bye. I, theoretically, you can absolutely do that. You just have to get the ship first. I, I know, stolen. but then I could never, you know, I just wouldn't be the same. Yeah. Because then I'm robbing what? Some billionaire's yacht? How boring is that? And, you, and as soon as you try to sell the stuff, then, like, you're going to get caught because everything yeah. has serial numbers? Boring. The thing is, you need to make a bigger group. Join the black market, Audrey. Too much work. <laughs> I can hardly even use a computer. There's no way I'd be able to, like, find the black market and not get caught by the FBI immediately. True. These. That's why I always think I'm like, man, like, that's another reason why I love covering the crime back in the, from, like, back in the day. Because I'm like, you could have just gotten away with anything. Truly. Like if I lived back then, I you would be a career to get far criminal. enough away from things that yes. I really couldn't do much about it. Like if I lived like back then, when you know they didn't even have, they couldn't do DNA, they couldn't do fingerprint. Like when they literally didn't do anything, I would have been a career criminal. Like there's no way I would have ever tried to live a normal life. Just like learn French, and you're sort of set to go just about anywhere in the olden times. 
like life used to be and that's another thing like they're like life your life is so easy for you now why can't you pay your bills why can't you buy a house because i can't just go be db cooper get the money given to me and jump out of the plane and be gone <laughs> i still you can believe... only pay your bills and yeah. commit insane crimes like, <laughs> that's the like, only way to get then, out of student debt back then you guys could go rob multiple banks and never get caught for it that's like, how I everyone was do... buying houses they were robbing I banks i can't do that Audrey's dream is to be a career criminal. I've been told grandma that. And here's she the, said Audrey, she'd visit me in you've prison. So. always said that. I know. Your dreams have been very straightforward <laughs> since you were very young. But I know that I can't because I live in this day and age where it's just not possible like it used to be. And that's something that will always deeply upset me. Much like, I'm not saying I want to go things. murder a bunch of people. No, but, I like, the fun crimes the that people used to be able to get away with. And yeah. You're like, man, how cool would it be if that you could do that? Yeah. And then, like, especially, like, now, even if People they come forward... People doing old-timey train robberies again and are pretty successful. What's even on trains anymore? Cars. I don't want that. They sell good. <laughs> Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> um, no, Just I was going to say, what's on trains? Radioactive chemicals that'll kill us all? Like, Well, yeah, that too. That's all that's on them these days. <laughs> They ship a lot of things that way. You just need to know which ones. You have to, like, have an in with, like, the shipping schedules on trains to know which ones to I'm sure you can look it up. I'm sure there's a database somewhere that you can get into. Okay. Well, I guess I can't give away all my secrets of how I'll eventually become be a, a millionaire. A train robber on horseback. I like how I still say millionaire because in my mind that's as far as you can go. Yeah, a billionaire is not possible. Nope. Not for me, at least. Gosh, I don't need that much. If I somehow magically got that much, all of a sudden you gave me a billion dollars, I think I would, like, pay off a lot of people's student... Like, pay off my debts, get everything I wanted really quick, because that wouldn't be that much, and then the rest of it would just pay off my friends' and family's student debts. Yeah. And then we'll see where we are after that. I know, I'm like, I really don't know... Like, if I had that much money... I mean, dogs is all I can think of. You, yeah, you all the dogs. Sh- uh, shelter. No, because I want to keep them all. Audrey, you can have a shelter that you don't adopt from, like, out of. I suppose. It can just be, like, your then ranch it can be, and then happiness. I, and, and I can make it a religion, and then it would be tax-free, and I get even more money. You're going to start, start a dog cult? Why not? People would be into that. I know. What's our religion? Saving the messed-up dogs. Okay. Anyway, time for my story. So today, my story is about the MV Joyita. Now... Is it a ship? I don't remember. Um, I think it is. So I haven't, um, I did these notes probably like three or four months ago now. (laughs) So we're going to learn together basically this whole story again. It'll be a discovery phase for all of us. So I got my information from wikipedia.org, historicmemories.com, nzherald.co.nz, cracked.com, grunge.com, natlib.gov.nz. Okay, so... New Zealand. We're on, yes, it's like a New Zealand-ish story. So we're on, um, first we'll start with the construction. MV Joyita was a 69-foot-long wooden ship. The ship's hull was constructed of two-inch thick cedar on oak frames with Mm. beams or a beam of 17 feet and a draft of 7 feet 6 inches. See, I always keep this in because I'm like, I don't know, maybe there's someone who really likes ships and wants to hear this stuff. It might mean something to someone. Yeah. (laughs) 
Or, like, people that are good with numbers can, like, picture the size of it. Yeah. Because I can't. Um, the net tonnage was 47 tons, and the gross tonnage was around 70 tons. It had tanks for 25,000 U.S. gallons of water and 3,000 U.S. gallons of diesel fuel. It was built as a luxury yacht by the Williamton Boat Works in Los Angeles for movie director Ronald West, who named the ship for his wife, actress Jewel Carmen Joyita. I guess that was like a stage name or anything. Yeah, I don't know. Meaning Little Jewel in Spanish. So Joyita is just after her this first name. This was a nickname, name. yeah. <laughs> See, I literally, have the, I literally did these notes so long ago, I don't remember any of this. The ship, um, the ship is referred to as uh, her slash she the entire time I was doing these notes, but um, I don't like that. The so ship? I just said it or the ship. Because huh. I hate people being like, oh, isn't she beautiful? Like, you always see it in, like, ships? movies or shows, and I'm always like, what are they talking about? And then, like, like, then they notice, like, the ship, and I'm like... I no, it is not. Confused. It's an ugly boat, actually. Like, Who's she? When the woman appears. So anyway, we're not calling the freaking ship a she, because why? I don't get it. Anyway, like, I don't get it. I don't get calling cars she. I don't get calling boats she. Why does it have to be a woman? Why does everything she? that men own have to be women? Audrey, you know why the patriarchy. No. <laughs> not in my world. So... In 16, or 1936, that's a big difference. In 1936, the ship was sold and registered to Milton E. Beacon. Um, during this period, the boat made numerous trips south to Mexico and to, and to the 1939 through 1940 Golden Gate International Exposi- Exposition in San Francisco. Which, I guess that's not So one far. time it went there. Yeah. Where's... Where is its, like, what is it, headwaters? Where is it, where's its port? I don't know. Do they um, ever say? We'll get there if it is. Okay. If it says it. Like, <laughs> like, right now, I'm hearing stories in Mexico. Well, I know, because that's why I kept this ne- in, because it's, New like, Zealand. it's over in here right in, like, America, in Mexico, well, and what then it sounds somehow like gets it's to a, New it's Zealand. It's a Pacific vessel, <laughs> at the very least. Um, so, in October of 1941, well, it was built for some guy in L.A. Yeah, okay. Um, so probably in LA then. October 1941. Well, no, because then it got sold to that guy. Oh, okay. When it's so in now Mexico and other things. Yeah. And then in October 1941, right before the attack on Pearl Harbor, Joyita was acquisitioned by the U.S. Navy and taken to Pearl Harbor, where it was outfitted as a yard patrol boat, YP-108. The Navy used it to patrol the Big Island of Hawaii until the end of World War II, which I didn't know, like... That they were taking. Did merchant they vessels? just take rich people's boats at that time? And be like, I think they just using it for the navy. <laughs> merchant vessels, um, which I had never heard of, so I thought that was kind of funny. I kept on in. In 1946, it was surplus to navy requirements, and most of the equipment was removed from it. In 1948, Joyita was sold to the firm of Lewis Brothers. Um, and at this point, cork lining was added to the ship's hull, along with refrigeration equipment. The cork lining provided, uh, significant additional buoyancy, um, and the combination of all the materials in the ship meant that it was fundamentally lighter than the water it sailed on. Oh, that's not good. And almost nothing could happen to make it sink. 
Oh, I guess it is good. Um, yeah. I don't think I know how boats work. You want them to be floating. <laughs> I get that, but I feel like if they're floating too much, then they'll, like, flip over. I don't think so. No, I don't know. I don't know how buoyancy Well, it's works. not, like, above the... physics. No, it just means, like, it's really... It's real It's real. It's, real, it's like a really fatty seal. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the ship... Because I know everything about seals. Water and seals. Um, <laughs> so the ship had two gray marine diesel engines, which provided 225 horsepower and two extra diesel engines for generators. So, like, I don't know what this Lewis Brothers firm was going to use this for, adding the cork lining and refrigeration units. But anyway. Yeah, um, in 1950, William Tav- Taveras... Yeah. Became the owner, but sold it in 1952 to Dr. Cather- Catherine Luamala, a professor at the University of Hawaii. She chartered the boat to her friend, Captain Thomas H. Dusty Miller, um, a British-born sailor living in Samoa. And Miller used the ship as a trading and fishing charter boat. So here we are have arrived Why'd at the like the mystery. It? I don't know. That's something I wanted to know because I was like, "Why is she needing this boat?" I don't know. I, they didn't say what professor she was, so maybe it had something to do with her. Whatever she teaches, I don't know. So here we've arrived at the mystery slash true crime, whatever it would mm-hmm. be considered. So, around 5 a.m. on October 3rd, 1955, Joyita left Samoa's Apia Harbor? I don't know if that's a typo or if that's what it actually is. Bound mm. for the Takalau Islands? Where are we looking? Sure. About 270 miles away. So, the boat had been scheduled to leave on the noon tide the previous day, but the departure was delayed because the port engine clutch had failed, which I don't know what that means, but somebody might. So, Joita eventually left Samoa on one engine, which I don't know if that's a smart thing to do. The boat had 16 crew members and nine passengers, including a New Zealand government official, Roger Perlis. Um, a Dr. Alfred Andy Dennis Parsons, a World War II surgeon on his way to perform an amputation. Um, that was Alfred, who is the doctor, mm-hmm. who was the World War II surgeon. Um, a Cobra buyer, Copra buyer, and two children. Um, the cargo consisted of medical supplies, timber, 80 empty 45-gallon oil drums, and various food items. The trip was expected to take between 41 and 48 hours, and the ship was scheduled to arrive in the... How did I say that before? Takalau Islands? Mm, On October 5th. On October 6th, a message from... Fakaofo port reported that the ship was overdue. No ship or land-based operator received, um, reported receiving a distress signal from the crew. Um, so a search and rescue mission was launched, and from October 6th to 12th, Sunderland's of the Royal New Zealand Air Force 
covered a probability area of nearly 100,000 square miles. Um, but there was no sign of Joyita or any of the passengers or crew found. So five weeks later on November 10th, Gerald Douglas, captain of the merchant ship Tuvalu. 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 Is that a ship everybody knows? No, it's a thing I've heard before, though. Oh. <laughs> I was like, am I just stupid? <laughs> um, so, five weeks later, on November 10th, Gerald Douglas, captain, captain of the merchant ship Tuvalu, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. Um, sighted Joita more than 600 miles west from their scheduled route, drifting north of Van Levu. Um, the ship was partially submerged and listing heavily, um, and there was no trace of any of the passengers or crew. Um, four tons of cargo were also missing. The recovery party noted that the radio was discovered tuned to... 2182KHZ, the International Marine Radio Telephone Distress Channel. Hmm. Um, and there was a report, too, that the, the port deck rail was awash, whatever that means. I don't know, but other people might. So, there was barnacle growth high above the usual waterline on the port side that showed that um, Joita had been listing heavily for some time, and mm-hmm. listing just means it's, like, leaning to one side, which I don't know why you can't just say that, but yeah, everybody has to have a specific word for everything. So, there was some damage to the superstructure. Um, the flying bridge had been smashed away, and mm-hmm. the deckhouse light had been damaged, and there were also some broken windows. Um, a canvas awning had been ripped on top of the deckhouse behind the bridge. Joita carried a dinghy and three Carly life rafts, life rafts, but they were all missing. And also, the ship did not carry enough life jackets for everybody on board, mm-hmm. which I would say, like, I don't think you can do that, but it was 1955 or whatever year this yeah. was, so I don't think there was as much of a strict rule about that. So, the starboard engine was found to be covered by mattresses, while the port engine's clutch was still partially disassembled, showing that the vessel was still running only on one engine. Yeah. Um, The starter motor of the starboard auxiliary engine was also missing, indicating that this engine was unserviceable. (laughs) Um, An auxiliary pump had been rigged in the engine room, and it was mounted on a plank of wood that was between the main engines. Um, however, it had not been connected. Uh-oh. Um, the radio on board was tuned to the International Distress Channel, like I said. But when the equipment was inspected, a break was found in the cable between the set and what is some whatever else that's connected to. Mm-hmm. But they also found that this cable had been painted over. So you you didn't know the break was there. Um, and that this would have made it a more limited range for the radio. Mm-hmm. So the, the radio's range with this issue was only about two miles. <laughs> oh. Um, That's so not very good. The electric clocks on board, which were wired into the vessel's generator, had stopped at 1025. And the switches for the cabin lighting and navigation lights were on, implying that whatever 
had happened. I know you're going to be able to this night. Clicking, but I need to get this, no, this application okay. in. <laughs> no, I was clicking something whenever you were yeah. talking to. Um, the ship's logbook, sextant, uh, mechanical chronometer, and other navigational equipment, as well as the firearms that Miller kept in the boat, were all missing. Um, a doctor's bag was found on deck. Um, containing a stethoscope, a scalpel, and four lengths of stained bandage, blood stained bandages. What surgery? He, I don't think he was supposed to do that amputation on the boat. <laughs> I don't think that was the goal. Um, <laughs> there was still fuel in the tanks, um, and from the amount that was used, it was calculated that the boat had traveled 243 miles before the ship was abandoned, mm-hmm. um, which likely only been about 50 miles from Tokaloo. Or however I was saying that. Yeah. Um, From a Which is where they were going. Yeah. yeah. One of the other um, issues with this boat, which, like, there's a very long list, was that um, when the investigators had gotten on board and was checking everything out, there was a leak. Um, and they suspected that the leak had probably started after, like, 9 p.m. on the second night of the trip. Um, and everybody knew that they still had, like, nine more hours of darkness ahead. So, when they found the ship and were checking everything out, it was, they found, um, the bilges and lower decks flooded, um, but the hole was sound, and once the water was pumped from the hole, it floated on a stable and even keel and was easily towed into the harbor. Yeah, because it's full of cork, it's so floaty. Yeah. So, when, okay, so after they had taken the ship back into the harbor, um, Investigators heard the sound of water entering the ship, and they found a pipe in the raw water circuit of the port auxiliary engine's cooling system had failed due to galvanic corrosion, which allowed water into the bilges, I think that's what Mm -hmm. I said. Um, So the first crew that would have known about the leak whenever everybody was still Mm -hmm. on the boat um, would have been when the water started to rise above the engine room floorboards, and by that time, it would have been nearly impossible to locate the leak because there had been so much mm-hmm. water in it. So, the bilge pumps were also not fitted with strainers and had become clogged with debris, which would have made it really hard to pump the water out at sea. I can imagine. Um, so, a formal inquiry into the fate of Joita was held in Apia, in February 1956, it found that the vessel was in a poor state of repair, but determined that the fate of the passengers and crew was, quote, inex- inexplicable on the evidence submitted at the inquiry, end quote. Another weird fact was that the three life rafts Joyita carried were missing, but it wouldn't make mm-hmm. any sense for the crew and passengers to voluntarily abandon the vessel. Since this boat, like I said before, was extremely buoyant compared to the regular ships, um, even with this leak, it was still, like, virtually unsinkable. Yeah. Um, And then in addition to the the added cork and, like, everything else it already had, um, there was further buoyancy provided by the cargo of empty fuel drums. That is... (laughs) It can't go down. <laughs> so the only thing that this is an unsinkable the inquiry, ship yeah, here. <laughs> the only thing the inquiry was able to establish was the reasons for the vessel 
becoming flooded. Like, they, uh, nothing else made sense. Like, uh-huh. why the passengers weren't still there didn't make any sense. Um, it found that the vessel would have begun to flood due to the fractured cooling pipe. Um, the bilge pumps were unserviceable due to becoming blocked. Joita lacked watertight bulkheads or sub subdivisions in the bilges. The water would have gradually flooded the lower decks. Um, as the boat began to sink lower into the water, the one remaining engine would not have been able to maintain enough speed to steer. Joita then fell beam on to a heavy swell and took on a heavy list um, that it was found with. Mm-hmm. So while... While flooded to an extent which would sink a conventional vessel, Joita stayed afloat due to the cork-lined hole in cargo of fuel drums. Mm-hmm. So, like, although it is, like, a scary thing that's happening, like, this boat been okay. still wasn't sinking. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, she couldn't be sunk. <laughs> so, um... Unsinkable Molly Brown. The, yeah. <laughs> so the inquiry also placed a lot of responsibility for the events on Captain Miller. They found him reckless for setting out on an ocean-going voyage with only one engine and numerous minor faults, um, and negligence for failing to provide a working radio or properly equipped lifeboats. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also in breach of maritime law since he had allowed Joita's license to carry fare-paying passengers to lapse. Um, the inquiry made no mention of the used medical equipment found on board, um, and the families of the 25 on board have had a hard time getting answers. Iris Thomas, who was daughter of Bert Hodgkinson on board, says she remembers people connected to the mystery being, quote, treated with suspicion and dismissal. So here's some of the theories of what has happened with this Where these people are MV Joita situation. So the Joita has been referred to as, quote, Mary Celeste of the South South Pacific, which I don't know anything about Mary Celeste. I know. I've heard I've of heard the Mary Celeste. Yes, but that's I all I know. Um, and had been the subject of many books and documentaries, which try to explain what might have happened to the ship and crew. These theories range from rational and conventional to supernatural and paranormal, as always, because you've always got to put the possibility in there. So, the first theory is injured captain theory. So, Captain Miller should have been aware of the ship's ability to stay afloat, which makes some believe that he died or became incapacitated somehow. Um, Like, someone on board must have been injured or you know, mm-hmm. why are there bloodstained bandages? Um, so without the captain, the other people on board might have panicked when the ship started to take on water and took the life rafts and left. But this theory still does not explain the missing cargo and equipment um, unless someone else had discovered the abandoned ship and took the cargo. So a friend of Miller, Captain S.B. Brown, was convinced that Miller would have never left the ship alive, given his knowledge of her construction. Um, not her. Given the ship's construction. Thank you very much. They, the, the captain knew that ship wasn't going to go down for nothing, yes. so why would you leave it willingly? Well, yeah, because that's the thing. is like Everybody's like, well, the, he knew how buoyant that ship was. Like, even though there was water, it would still be okay. Like, he should have known that as a... Mm-hmm. 
as a captain. Um, so he knew about tensions between Miller and his American first mate, Chuck Simpson, and felt that their mutual dislike might have come to blows and both men fell overboard or got severely hurt in a struggle, which would have left the ship without experienced crew. And again, the rest would have just been panicked and left mm-hmm. when things started going wrong with the ship. Um, the next theory is there could have been Japanese involvement. Dun, dun, dun. So, it's those Japanese whalers. You never know. So, the Fiji Time and Herald quoted, um, at the time from, quote, an impeccable source, that the Joita had passed through a fleet of Japanese fishing boats during its trip and, quote, had observed something the Japanese did not want them to see. Whales. So, the Daily Telegraph in London hypothesized that some still active Japanese forces from World War II were to blame for the disappearances, operating from an isolated island base. Uh, there, there were still strong anti-Japanese sentiments in parts of the Pacific, and in Fiji there was specific resentment of Japan being allied to operate, being able to operate fishing fleets in local waters. Mm-hmm. So that's a theory. Another theory. Soviets? Question mark. Um, there was a <laughs> there was a proposition that quote the vessel's occupants were kidnapped by by a Soviet submarine <gasps> with the world at the time <laughs> in the midst of the growing Cold War. So submarines forgot that was it's in there. The um, that's all about that one. Uh, another theory: pirates. The reports that the Joita had been involved in a collision led some to think that it had been rammed by modern sea pirates. Um, And they had attacked the ship, killed the 25 people on board, cast their bodies into the ocean, and stole the missing four tons of cargo. Another one, insurance fraud. So it was revealed that Miller had uh, amassed a large amount of debt after many unsuccessful fishing trips on Joita. Um, But there wasn't much to support this theory. Miller was relying on Joita being a charter for regular runs between Samoa and Tokelu. Mm -hmm. And these government charters would have quickly cleared his debts. So it wouldn't make sense for him to be doing one of the things that would have gotten rid of his debts anyway. Yeah. For him to just be like, you know what, let's do this quicker. Not financially intelligent. So, the next theory is mutiny. Um, Robin Maugham spent many years investigating the vessel's past and published his findings as the Joita Mystery in 1962. Which, from 55 to 62, is not many years, in my opinion, but what do I know? Um, it wasn't even 10. Because mm-hmm. this happened in 55, didn't it? Yeah, because yeah. it got auctioned off in 56. Okay. Anyway, I guess it's saying that he agreed with the investigators that there was flooding from the broken cooling pipe and failures with the pumps. Uh-huh. But he says that the mattresses found covering the starboard engine were used in an attempt to stem the leak or to protect the electrical switchboard from spray kicked up by the engine's flywheel as the water level rose. Um, and then at the same time, the ship encountered heavy swells and bad weather. 
He says Captain Miller, knowing that the ship was unsinkable, desperate to reach his destination and clear his debt, kept going. Anyway, even though, like, he knew all these yeah, issues. Yeah, these issues, yeah. So Simpson and maybe some other members demanded him to turn back, which led to mutiny, and Miller and the crew struggled. During which Miller sustained a serious injury. You know, the bloody bandages. Mm-hmm. And then by this time, the ship had entered heavier weather with winds around 40 miles per hour and and with one engine and a flooded bilge, it was beginning to labor. So the flooding in the engine room would have caused the starboard engine to fail, the only one left working, mm-hmm. which would have also cut the vessel's electrical power. Um, Simpson was now in control and made the decision to abandon ship, taking the navigational equipment, logbook, and supplies, as well as the injured Miller with them. Uh, but uh, it still seems unlikely that Simpson would have abandoned the flooded ship because he still knew that it was buoyant too, because this was his first mate or whatever. Yeah. Um, like, why would you take drown. a small life raft into the Pacific Ocean? <laughs> yeah. So um, this guy says that maybe they saw a nearby island or reef and tried to reach it, but with the strong winds and seas, the raft mm-hmm. was carried out to sea, leaving the Joyita. And drifting away. Um, the damage to the light... The damage to the structure could have been caused by waves um, while the ship was drifting into heavy seas. Mm-hmm. But I'm also like, he's saying this stuff, but also there's generators that we know are working and all this other stuff, so I don't know. I, like I said, he didn't even research this for 10 years, so... Okay. <laughs> um... Then there is the Mayday call. So one theory is that someone had thought they sent out a Mayday signal successfully, but didn't know that the system wasn't working. So the crew was then persuaded. Um, so anyway, so they sent out this signal, realized, didn't but they know didn't it know it wasn't working. working. So everybody was like, the crew and passengers were waiting on the rafts to be rescued by the Royal New Zealand yeah. Air Force. Because they assumed they would be by soon since they sent them at the Mayday But that signal. never arrived. So then, one by one, they either drowned or were killed by sharks, apparently, was that theory. Which, like, why are sharks just killing them? Sharks love people in, in rafts. <laughs> Tasty. It's like candy for them. Um, so, <laughs> Coming pretty packaging. So those are all of our theories. Now we've got after this whole mystery happened. Like, years um, later, or... Well, like, a year later. Okay. In July 1956, Joita was auctioned off by the owners for 2,425 monies to <laughs> a Fiji Islander, <laughs> David Simpson. He refitted, <laughs> he refitted and overhauled the ship and went into sea with it again later that year. Because so, you didn't put what, it, what, what, what well, money source it was. I don't know what kind of money it is, but... Is it a Fijian dollar? Is it a US <laughs> dollar? Is it a New Zealand money? So, <laughs> the boat was still surrounded by legal disputes over the transfer of the registry from the U.S. to Britain without permission. And in January... Wait, this is... Oh, no, this is in the future. I thought this was behind... In January of 1957, it ran aground while carrying 13 passengers in the Coro Sea. It was repaired, and in October of 1958, it began a regular trade between Lavuka and Suva. Sure. I assume okay. they're islands. Um, I, Joita... This ship won't sink. <laughs> no. 
Joanna again ran aground on a reef. So these captains are not great. Um, in November 1959 at Vadavalu near Lavuka. It floated off the reef, assisted by high tide, but while heading for port, began to take on water um, through a split seam. The pumps started to go, but they were installed wrong, and it was pumping water into the hole. That's the opposite. <laughs> so it now finally had the reputation of an unlucky ship after finally. after all of this, and was abandoned by the owners and beached. It was stripped for useful equipment and slowly, slowly taken apart over the years. Um... It was virtually gone by the 1970s. Pumps were pumping water into the <laughs> ship, and it still didn't sink. No. So, on March 14th, 1975, like, the only reason they don't use it anymore is because now it's unlucky. It's just you're unlucky. Not, you're not supposed to use it's unlucky ship. sinking. So, on March 14th, 1975, the Western Samoa Post Office released a set of five stamps dealing with the mystery of Joita for the 20th anniversary. In 2009, a walkway was named after dr alfred dennis parsons near his former torbay home in auckland new zealand Mm -hmm. in 2012 two memory stones in honor of the event were erected in apia samoa and Mm -hmm. in fakofu village tokalu um, I have said that multiple times. I know, still every don't time know how I've said it. Puzzled. So as of 2012, all aboard were still declared as missing. And in 2012, there was a call for a formal declaration that they were dead. But I don't know if that actually happened because that's the last information I have on the NV Joyita. And nobody knows where the passengers are still. There's Not a no... clue. I guess they never found any proof of the boats going anywhere. Um, no debris from it or anything. So that's my story. And stay out of the ocean is what I had to say. I don't trust it. I've said this before. I do not trust the ocean. I know. I know you don't. Why does anybody else? This stuff happens literally all the time. Mm-hmm. You're just gone. No thanks. That's the last place I'm trying to be gone at. It's real deep, man. It's real we don't deep. even know how deep it is. Literally. I, like, it's, so it's, your and dad tried to convince me that they do know how deep the ocean is. And I said, where? No, because when they talk about the Marianas Trench now, they're like, yeah, one of the deep, deepest known points in the ocean. Like, meaning they're not sure. Well, the problem is, like, tectonic plates are always moving, so you can make things deeper and shallower. Well, and they haven't even explored the majority of the ocean. And you're guessing. trying to tell me you think you know that they know the deepest point of the ocean when it hasn't all been explored yet? How does that make any My sense? My favorite thing is our entire lack of understanding of, like, ocean sounds. Yeah, they're like, what is that? What is that we noise? Have no clue what this noise is, but we keep hearing it. It might I be am scared. Blue. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I could not be an ocean sound researcher. <laughs> I think I could. I'd be like, guys, you got to hear this one. Listen. Sounds like Mike when he's in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's going to be jokes. Or it's going to be Mike in the bathroom. Like, he recorded it. <laughs> Get sent in for workplace harassment. You're like, but it was a good joke. <laughs> they think it's funny. I also assume you're on, like, remote research vessels when you're doing this. Yeah, okay, then I couldn't do it. No, if I'm sitting in, like, an office in the mainland, sure. Anyway, that's all we have this week. Stay out of the ocean. Don't get in freaking submarines.
Because literally, why would you do that? It, here's the thing. If you're going to do something that's a little bit risky seeming, read the fine print of the contract you're signing. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> Just why? I, I still don't know. Like, like I said, you could not pay me to do that. You could not pay me. Mm-mm. There's no amount of money in this world that you could... I mean, I don't even go into the ocean above the knee. You think I'm going all the way down there? In a submarine. What's down there? We don't know. Exactly. So I'm not going. The Titanic? Why do I care? There's Isn't there one that's, you know, the twin of it that's still around? Not at the bottom of the ocean? The Britannic? Yeah. Go see that one. What's the difference? There's not, there's not supposed to well, be. Well, one's released. decaying at the bottom of the ocean and one isn't. <laughs> one sank and one didn't. <laughs> I would rather see the one that didn't sink. <laughs> you seeing the things where, like, all the believers, like, all the, not the, all the survivors, because it was mostly women and children. Yeah. They're like, this is what happened. They looked and described And no one how, believed them. And no one yeah. believed them because they were women and they'd never seen They were like, ships ship. don't do that. Yeah, they'd never seen a ship sink that way. I'm a man. Which is so weird because the first shipwreck I ever learned about as a kid was when a ship split in half the other way, the well, harder like, way. Like, like because the Montana splits, like, down the middle long ways, hot dog style. So I always knew that ships just... Well, and, like, every I, time I you that's, see that's a picture of a sink. shipwreck, even in, like, kids' cartoons, they're in half. Yeah. And we didn't Does know it that, just do that at the bottom? until the Titanic movie. When they first, like, when, like, James Cameron got down there and saw it. Anyway, try not to kill anybody and dumb with Ouija boards. Bye. Bye.